Actually, uh, I was David. I I heard you on Agitator. What episode were you on? <clears throat> um, well, I was on uh, the Bloodborne episode. I was on there with my brother. We were talking about Akira. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's the one I think I remember is the Akira yeah. one. <laughs> I was on it- there. With- yeah. I also did the Tetsuo. Um, the metal metal man the iron metal, metal joint you know what i'm talking about right yeah the the original tattoo the first one yeah, exactly exactly yeah yeah man i was that bloodborne episode and i was like god i want to play this fucking game so bad like they, they you guys make it sound so cool and i'm like i'm not buying a fucking playstation for this and they're never gonna like <laughs> <play> <laughs> Yo, I feel I feel that I've I've heard people say that, and it's funny because like I think I said it on on that episode. I wasn't even like into video games for real, like as a hobby, and I bought a I bought a whole PlayStation Four specifically so I could play Bloodborne because I seen because that game has some really good advertising for it. It has some really good trailers and shit, and I, I was seeing it and I was like, "What the fuck is this? All this like." <laughs> Lovecrafty and shit, and I was like, "What? What's what's up with that?" So I had to cut the PlayStation just to play that game, you know. So I feel you because that that it wasn't a PlayStation exclusive. So if you ain't at the PlayStation, you weren't messing with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I think uh, I think that game has probably sold a lot of Playstations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, right. it's the way that it sounds like it, it sounds like it's just all the the good qualities of all the other bloodborne game or all the other uh like dark dark souls games but it's like it just sounds like they they just got it right and got like all the stylistic stuff just perfect and all that absolutely that i think you summed it up that's exactly what it is they got they got the stylistic they got the aesthetic of it right for that one it was just great and i didn't feel like i had seen it in a video game before Certainly nothing. You go out and buy a whole console for it. You feel me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, really, I can't play games like, uh, like as big as Elden Ring anymore. Like I just don't have fucking, uh, time or attention for that shit. Like, so something that's a little bit more blocked off, like, like older video games are great for me because I can blow through them and actually get the story and all that. But damn, can't, I can't invest like I used to. You absolutely, think- man. The, uh, Elden Ring, man, when I started playing Elden Ring, my daughter could stand up, you know, when she would like hold, like she was, uh, she was, she's young, right? She's 19 months now. And when I started playing it, she could like stand up against things. Now, I'm, I'm, I still haven't beat that double boss fight at, at the end, right? And, and I'm still stuck at that fight. And now I can't even I can't even beat that fight because now my daughter is old enough to like walk around and hand me a book and be like, read, read, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> like that game is. Take you one day when she's like 16 and she's gonna be like, Daddy, I beat Elden Ring. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Fuck. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> Your daughter was sent by Elden Ring to mock you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll never fucking beat this. Ever. Ever. <laughs> She's just she's really gonna she's gonna turn she's gonna turn into that tree worm thing that's at the end of the fucking game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey. In the future, your children are just expensive DLC. <laughs> I mean, they kind of already are, aren't they? <laughs> Yo, that's like, funny. You like they're like DLC to the to the this world, like because you're like you're like uploading a soul. <laughs> Like you, if you and your partner are like the game or whatever, like the kids is the DLC. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that, uh, we can rock with that. <laughs> and sometimes they, they, sometimes they fuck up the original experience. You know. <laughs> <laughs> is that yo? Is that? And sometimes it ain't worth the money that you pay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this, this DLC's really let us off plot. You know. Yeah. What's going on? I had dreams. What's going on? Wait, are you just doing all these random quests that got nothing to do with the main storyline? <laughs> it's really unsatisfactory, unwhelming ending. It's like, that was it. <laughs> My God. To be a really good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh oh man uh welcome to soapbox i'm already laughing my ass off this is gonna be a good one <laughs> uh we're here with dave simmons dave or david which one do you prefer either is fine man either way right. uh, and dave's an author uh he, what's your most your, is your most recent still um ghost of east baltimore yeah, that's my that's my first novel. That was my first novel. Um, oh, first. Yeah, I've written a lot of like short stories that I've I've sold here and there, been in anthologies and shit like that. But nah, Ghost of East Baltimore uh, through Broken River Books was my my first uh, book. That's my debut novel, if you will. Very cool. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, you're in good company there. We've had. Uh... We've had a few of the boys, we've had Grant and Kelby and uh, and David all on too. Um, oh yeah. So we're here today talking about what whatever we want, but also um, uh, life is hot in Cracktown, which uh, David picked, and uh, this was a really intense movie. And I I'm curious to ask, I want to ask a couple questions. Like first of all, uh, why did you pick this movie? Man, I, I picked this one for because mostly how you came at me with, you know, uh, coming on the show, because it was like, bet, I got to pick a movie. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you this movie the same way it was given to me with no idea what the fuck I was getting into. And then <laughs> you just feel like you've been hit with a truck. You just feel like a dirty truck, though, like a truck with. <laughs> Like that's how you feel after you're done watching it. So no, I didn't I didn't want to do it in like a, a sadistic way. I wanted to give you the experience. Like there are certain movies that if you watch them with no uh explanation, 
going into it, you will have a phenomenal experience. Like they're just certain ones just because you're like, what the fuck like that? Um, I feel as though this was one of them. And when I came across the movie, it was because I had been in a hotel room for a couple days. I would say more than a week, but I had been up in a hotel room and I was, you know, I was trapped and I was doing some things at the hotel room. And this movie came on right on that on the one channel they got in the hotel room. You feel me? The one good channel. Right. Maybe HBO or whatever. And I was just transfixed by it. So I wanted to give you the same experience, like give you that. What the fuck is this <laughs> feeling that I got? Did it work? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first the first 10 minutes of this movie are fucking crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, I don't know if it's the darkest moment in the movie, but it's pretty close. I actually it, really appreciated that they, I feel like they got the most tra- traumatic thing out of the way at first to be like, like if, if you make it through, through the first five minutes, you're good. That, yeah, that's... you well, you're not good, but you can at least stomach what the fuck is coming <laughs> towards you. <laughs> it's true. And, and there's just there's some interesting things about the movie, too. Like, first of all, um, no one has heard of this movie, yet it is packed with famous people. But you, you don't like you got Elena Douglas, Laura Flynn Boyle. You got motherfucking Brandon Ruth, Superman, playing the junkie who who's, who smokes cigarettes outside the, the building, right? What's he doing to talking to little kids? I don't know. He's Superman. <laughs> but, but it's happening in that movie. You got motherfucking the RZA. You got the RZA. You got Diana Ross's son. You that's feel me? Like that's, that's the little gangbanger at the beginning. That's Evan Ross, Diana Ross's son. Oh, I didn't know that. You feel me? So there's a mm. lot of shit in that movie. Um, I feel like also that was one of Curry Washington's first roles. You know what I'm saying? And she plays a transgender prostitute. That's a wild movie. <laughs> yeah, their their whole relationship is like, it's just how did how did this happen? This is well, really and, and that's that, and, a woman. That's a woman playing uh, a man, uh, a trans trans man, right, right, which I thought was. It it really fucked with my head because like I I didn't it didn't click at all that like even after they said it once or twice I was just like oh no okay she really is supposed to be a transvestite yeah what do you think about that too if we if we look at when this hold on um hold on one second I'm gonna look up when this movie was made exactly because okay 2009 right it's kind of interesting that they had a woman play a man transitioning to a woman in the movie, right? Like, we've seen it, you know, with, like, Jared Leto playing a dude, you know, transitioning to, like, to a woman in Dallas Buyers Club. You feel me? But this time we got a whole woman, Curry Washington, and Curry Washington, she bad. Don't sleep on Curry Washington. So, like, you know what I'm saying? You got her in the movie. It's an interesting, um, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it I don't think that would fly now, you know, and I think people would be really pissed off about it. Yeah, they would. It would. It would have to be an actual uh, yeah. trans actor. It's it's interesting because there was a there was another. I can't remember the name of it, but there was another movie that this that had a similar premise. But that was the whole movie was it was following a woman 
or excuse me, a man transition, transitioning into a woman, but it was played by an actress, the whole thing. Um, yeah. So there's, there's some, there's some precedence for it, but then like it threw me for a loop too, because then her friend Ridley, uh, I, 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 that those were good prosthetics. I'll say this because, because they get, she has another trend, trends, trans friend that right. like the first time you meet them she like shows off her new tits yeah right. i'm like i'm like oh i guess this is they actually hired uh, a trans person for this and and no that was just just an actor <laughs> they did prosthetics and that, was that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting it, it it you know another thing too like about the movie is um you know, coming out of Baltimore, right? Like in Baltimore, one of the nicknames for this city is King Heron. You feel me? This is a heroin city. You know, yeah, there's crack. Of course there's crack here, but it is a heroin city. And the 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 suffering you see is is the opioid suffering. You feel me? So mm-hmm. when I watch this movie and I see that these motherfuckers I mean, you got Elena Douglas passing the glass pipe over her kid to the yeah. it, right? That to me is the darkest scene. But but to watch that, I was like, damn, I ain't no crack could take you there. You feel me? Mm. Like to not to diminish or uh, or um, crack cocaine addiction in any way. I'm not saying that, but I was not um aware like like if it was dope i could i would understand because i've seen that but yeah so it's something different for me to see these motherfuckers going like crazy already bro you know interesting interesting i mean i uh my one exposure to crack was like i i had a friend who's um whose uncle was like a he's like a roofer and the apparent well, I guess like all of them were did it to some all the roofers on the roofing crew did crack to some degree. And we, I, you know, his uncle was this really weird, uh, janky guy that at one, one point asked us to like take him to a McDonald's. And so we, we did. And then but he didn't go to the drive through. He like got out of the van and then walked somewhere behind the McDonald's and then came back. And while we were driving around, we kind of knew he was smoking up in the in the back of this van, <laughs> like in front of us. Like and and we were I was like 16 or 17 at the time. And like my I had other friends, other friends were like same age. And it it, it is that like I feel like it erodes whatever the, the barriers are that are like, this is what's right and respectable. That just goes out the window with it. But that's 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 my, that's my limited exposure to it. Mm. And, me, uh, like I, I think it's interesting that that was your your feelings on it because uh, I guess my experience with other people is kind of hit or miss in either direction. Like some people, I knew some really functional crackheads, and mm-hmm. I knew some really functional like opiate addicts. But then on the on the like the shit end of it of like the how far bad it could get, I don't really know if one was worse, but they were definitely different. Mm. <laughs> like there's just a different pace to the kind of crazy that comes with crack. Like once you start to lose it with crack, uh, you like I don't I don't know how to explain 
you're not in a position to like really hold it together enough to uh to seem i don't know like you just end up uh so hollow i feel like uh like i know for me personally because i had experiences being addicted to both and after i kind of got over my addiction to opiates i would still do opiates because the come down from crack sucks so like i would just use opiates to come down but was no longer like addicted to them but it was when i was doing crack that i really went off the rails and i started just kind of like letting stuff that i lines i wouldn't cross before it was just kind of like no fuck it i need that feeling Mm. what's so weird about it to me is like physiologically you, you don't go into physical withdrawals the same way like cracks all in your head Mm. but for me it was still more powerful like all the physical suffering that came with opiates you know and i i was never i never made enough money to not be dope sick every other day when i was on that shit so like half the time i was miserable but i still wouldn't like rob people or anything it was like only once i fucking went off the rails with crack that i was like doing crazy shit like Mm. lost a car that kind of shit you know, that's that is interesting because see that that's what I what you said when you said there isn't the same physical pain and discomfort from it. That was my thought process when I watched the movie. Because to me, the if if you don't get your next hit, I understand the compulsion. I understand the high doesn't last long and you want to keep doing it and all that, but still if you run out. You don't shit yourself and not be able to go to work. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So like for me, but but that, like I said, once again, that's my limited experience with understanding, you know, a, addiction based on the fact that I'm, I'm very aware of opioid addiction, but crack addiction is more foreign. Uh, we don't even have meth here. I mean, somebody going to listen to this and say that I don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. And you know what? Good for you. I'm glad you can find meth in the state of Maryland. But as far as I, you know what I'm saying, we don't really have meth, not in the Baltimore and in the surrounding Washington, D.C. part of Maryland. You feel me? So, like, my experience is more with the opioid addiction. And but you're right, because there's a certain it's different. It's different because with the opioid addiction, you be you just sit and be sick until you get some bread, you know, and then come up. But I've heard, and I don't see it that much, because like I said, we don't have it that much in this city. I've heard that the crackheads, they'll watch your car, they'll they'll watch your car, they'll wash your car, they'll help you move shit, they'll do all sorts of shit. You can pay them and they'll do jobs. But shit, in my city, they just be leaning, because they on the fucking dope and shit. So they don't help you do shit. They just lean on the bench and don't be helpful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I get it though, because maybe they're more they're more eager to do so, do stuff for it. They're also gonna rob you the second they get the chance too. Like there's there's this really weird the best way I can describe it is like they both are possession, like you're being possessed by the a weaponized plant spirit, essentially. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but one of them, I think, I think opioids. I think they possess the body more and then like like crack possesses the mind and there's something about like uh there's this feeling that I had when I was on it that was like 
the you that has like morals and like conscience you're like three feet to the left of that mm-hmm. and you're like trying your best to like still pretend to be that other person when all you want to do is just like destroy anything in the way anything between you and more crack like mm-hmm. and it's just this dance you're doing with like how much patience do i have to like find that next hit like how how uh how long can i keep this up and just pretend that i give a shit about anything else like that's, that's, yeah. that's very different from opioid addiction because with opioid addiction it's more so like as soon as i get well i'm gonna handle my business i'm gonna take care of my kids i'm gonna go to work i'm gonna clean my room you know what i'm saying like whereas what you're saying is with the with the ready rock addiction it's more, you know, I just, I don't give a fuck about nothing else. I'm just going to, that's, that's where I want to be. And everything else is just a fucking mask that I'm wearing in the meantime, just to get by. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it felt. And there's like this really hollow feeling and, and like you, you feel gross because you know that you're like not really yourself. And so there's this sense of guilt that you're pretending to be at the same time. Um, it's, it's real weird. It's like because because you want to part of you wants to just like let go of pretending you care uh, and go all the way. And some people, I think, do that and make that choice. But if you like have that thread hanging on, then you're like always trying to pretend to keep up appearances or whatever. Um, but but like there is no getting well with rock. Right. Like you you hit it and it's like five minutes, 10 minutes later, you're like on the come down. It's not it's not like doing and like blasting a fucking needle and and being good for most of the day or all of it um yeah it's 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 a totally different wavelength was that makes me wonder does like sounding like the difference between the two i mean does, does crime happen in the same way with heroin addicts doesn't sound like it would it sounds like if you're if you're crack addicted you're gonna do crazy shit because that because of like what you're describing it's like a you have this one red hot goal and that goal like comes and goes like that and then so that's that and you know and and it's also fucked up what you're saying about like oh well you're aware that there's a moral good version of yourself but you're just sort of that's just sort of pushed to the side and is hanging out, I guess, just so you can check in with it and feel like extra shit while you're doing the horrible things. I mean, it's, well, it sounds fucking horrible. <laughs> being, being beside that self, that part of yourself is just a product of like the weapon that is uh-huh. substance. Yeah. And I, I it's, think it's really weird when you think about MK projects and how uh, the idea of like splitting the consciousness and like traumatizing people was part of that, and then yeah, introduces crack is but the same people that <laughs> were doing the MK projects. So I don't know. I think there's something there. That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it also it it trauma state. You know, like you're like you're in ecstasy, but it's also like so much that it's like trauma, and you you never want to leave it. You're like stuck in it. I mean, I, I get. I also wonder, like, like who who would have who would have looked at cocaine and said, "Hey, can we make this more addictive?" Like, yes. <laughs> like what? The devil. That's. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, like I'm like like the incident that happens at the beginning of this movie, which is like which it's a gang rape. And it's like it's really horrible because they it it starts off you think it's like kind of sweet and but and then it rapidly goes downhill. And like I mean, I guess but yeah, that it's like I don't think I don't think a heroin or opioid addict would is doing a lot of rapes, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you I think you're I think you're right about that. And and the more and more I think about it, you know, there is something to be said said for that. There's just a much more animalistic behavior, I guess, that comes with not even just crack, but I'd say uppers addiction in general, whether you know it's just like cause it, I guess it's people, it's less common to people, but I've seen people strung out on like cathinone and fucking, uh, at, you know, uh, flocka and shit like that. Well, they call it flocka in Florida, but up here it's, you know, MDBPP or whatever it's called. But usually people think they're, they're doing Molly and shit, but oh, it's not. Okay. It's, um, it's cathinone. It's, it's synthetic cathinone. So, you know, and, and, and that shit's fucking terrible. That's like the crack version of ecstasy. So people be doing that shit thinking they got Molly and shit like that. And those people do behave kind of crazy because, you know, and I'll say this because I've said this in my writing before. I've said this on, on podcasts and things before. I used to sell drugs. I sold drugs for a very long part of my life. And, you know, I did my time for the things that I've done and it is what it is. And it, it's true. The, the opioid addicts, they are pretty uh, reliable. You know, they, they get their money together. They want to hit you really early. So they're not sick for the day. And the one thing you can count on with them is they'll hit you a bunch of times in advance because they really want to know that you're going to be there when you say you're going to be there because I believe there's a psychological aspect to that too, where knowing that they're going to get well once they get their money and get a ride to you, that, that, that makes them psychologically well momentarily. Mm. Whereas I have sold other drugs. Uh, the, the Molly is what I'm talking about that or the synthetic, whatever it was that, that shit, those people are very unmanageable. You know what I mean? They, mm weird shit like they they buy the shit and two hours later they call you asking you if they dropped the shit when they was leaving the trap right and because they lost it they start getting a little bit um rude with you and you got to let them know you know on the phone you know you, you keep talking like that i'm gonna punch you in the mouth the next time you come around the neighborhood and shit so watch your fucking mouth and then next thing you know they're like um oh i'm sorry i found it you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's a very weird, like, um, I guess like what you're saying, hollow, like a very, um, just, uh, I don't know, man. It gives me this like insect vibe where they're just like, uh, they, they're like always like picking up shit and trying to find stuff and like, you know, trying to make things work that don't work out. And, you know, and then they get rude and aggressive and then nice again. Whereas like with the dope they would just, you know, kind of pick up and go home. But so, but for some reason, when I was watching this movie, the behaviors of some of the people in this movie, I was just like, really? For Ready Rock? Y'all wilding out like that? 
Mm-hmm. I guess that's my naive uh, being naive about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, just yeah, just exposure. Like I in like where I was in Florida, it was like there was there were a lot of pills, but man, crack was everywhere. Like <laughs> I mean, everywhere. So like, yeah, I saw some shit. Like people people would go fucking crazy. There was this one girl I knew who when she smoked, she would contort herself into this weird dance and like she had no control over it. It would happen like every time she smoked and she would just do this weird thing and she couldn't control it. (laughs) But she'd keep keep right on smoking. Yeah. I heard Florida in general just like in the like in the like crime and underground like situation is just much more wild than some other states. Just like in a combination of all the drugs plus the gun laws down there. That's what I've heard at least. I don't know if that's true, but from what I've heard, it's just even it's supposed to be crazy, even crazier than my city. That's what I hear. Certain parts like Duval and shit like that. Yeah, I know it gets really rough. Like, thankfully, where I was, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was rough. I mean, I was in Sarasota, Bradenton area, and there's some rough shit, but, like, not like it is somewhere, like, some places in Florida. Like, when, I, when, when Kelby and I talk, I'm like, like, it feels the same when he talks about Gulf Coast, Texas. I think it's just like where it's hot and the water is, I, I don't know, there's something about the vibes that if it's the same sort of thing going on. Uh, you go a little bit north and it's like different vibes. You get more like, or if you go like a little bit inland in Florida, you get more like country boy meth folk. But like, it's like anywhere there's city, it's all, it's, it's just so much crack. Got you. Yeah, it, it's actually funny that you mentioned about like how, like there's no, there's not really meth in I, actually, I I don't ever remember anyone talking about it in New York either. See, I feel like, yeah, I feel like it. I feel like that's a thing that happens mostly in the South and in like rural areas for some reason. Yeah. It's like not a city drug. It's in the city they they well in the city they get decent meth and call it MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you're talking about when you said they get meth, they call it MDMA, but for. Over here, there a lot of people be, you know, at least I say 10 years ago, be trapping Molly MDMA, but it's really a, a, I got, I don't want to pronounce it wrong, but it's like meth, but with a pH. Like I, know, meth- I know what you're talking about. Like it's, it's a slightly different, cheaper, easier to make type of shit. Um, yeah. I've had that stuff. Terrible. It was horrible. Like, yeah. It- it was like uh, you know when you if you if you have something that's decent like back when I back when I did drugs, uh, it would be like a really really nice euphoric feeling. You know they use MDMA originally in couples therapy, like it was a right. like and there it it's very very useful and it has efficacy and in, in therapy and in, and in healing context. But like uh, and shit, it has fucking efficacy in party context if you're being responsible and drinking lots of water and not getting you know date raped but like um yeah i don't know that 
that other shit, it was like an instant anxiety attack. And it was like, it just felt, and I had, I had had meth too. And, and it was like, I would way prefer meth to this other fake ecstasy stuff that felt like it felt, it tasted like poison. And then it felt like, uh, just being like on the worst part of all, uh, stimulants, you know, just that part like i'm just really high there's no euphoria left in my you just jump straight to that point and then you're up for like 18 hours yes all that made me want to do was fight it just made fight it made me want to fight and like it made me want to fight dudes and argue with women and it made it and those are like two bad qualities i don't want to have in my life you know fighting dudes and arguing with women so I would never touch that shit again. I, I never did. But yeah, that shit make you just agitated. Just ter- the terrible stuff. But it makes sense because it makes sense that they got a, a new version of crack, man. Because like you said, you know, government was putting crack in the hood back in the 80s and shit like that. They had to, you got to have some new crack, man. You got to have some new shit to fuck people up. Yeah, I mean, all, you, all you'd have to do is just put a little something in the cut of the coke you're bringing in. Because everybody, everybody makes cooks a crack themselves, so they can control the cut and everything. But like, all you gotta do is control that flow in. Put a little something extra. Hell, you could put smart dust or nanobots in there. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, you can. It's it's so funny how like um, I love how people think whenever you go off off and talk about like people putting stuff in your stuff to control your mind or to make you think different ways or to poison you. It's like every time anything you can come up with, that sounds like a conspiracy. It's like, you can go find like six examples of like <laughs> when it's happened. on this. <laughs> it's so, so Yeah, no, you absolutely can. And, and like, I don't know, there, there's some conspiracies that, that I've heard that I see that I've heard in person, you feel me from people from the neighborhoods, those conspiracies come from, and you don't see them as much on the internet when you're looking around like at Reddit and shit like that. But at some point when you start hearing a, a certain thing and it's not necessarily supernatural, not saying supernatural shit ain't a thing. I'm just saying if it's something that could be in reality as we know it, if enough people in the neighborhood are talking about it, that shit probably did happen. I mean, mm. one conspiracy I've been hearing my whole motherfucking life is that back in like the late 80s to late 90s, some law enforcement organization would just drop big boxes of fucking guns in the middle of the hood. And they just be right there. You just drop big supply crates like fucking Call of Duty or Warzone of fucking guns, drop them in the middle of the hood, and that's it. I didn't heard so many people tell me that shit to the point where it's like, for real, am I supposed to assume that all these people I'm friends with and all these people I know are just repeating misinformation? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. If it's a, if it's a legend like that, it was based on the fact that I think at least happened once. You feel me? Somebody. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it, and there's you know, there was, there's actually recent precedents for that because I don't know if you remember, but during 
<clears throat> all the like Black Lives Matter protests, there was there was those instances of those fucking pallets of bricks just showing up randomly, like mm. uh, and like just on the on the marching routes or whatever. Uh, and it, it it was like it was like they would place them next to like you know all the storefronts would be boarded up, but then there would be these like like untouched glass storefronts next to a pile of bricks. It's just like, come on, this is fucking a setup. If, if I've ever seen one, I mean, yeah, that sounds like the same sort of thing thing yeah. they do, you know. And I yeah, I would not. That would not shock me that that they would have dropped. Fucking, I mean, I mean, look, I can't say it. Look at, look at Ukraine, <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, it's fucking, they probably that was probably some write off for some military organization or some shit or like overstock or who the fuck knows. Uh, yeah, it is, it is crazy. It, it, and and I believe all this stuff simply because I happen to live in one of the most politically and law enforcement corrupt cities in the United States of America. If you do any research on Baltimore, Baltimore has a history of every single type of fucked up corruption that could possibly happen has happened here. Every type of sy- systematically enforced segregation by the architecture in the city Baltimore was the first city to enact housing covenants in the United States of America that said these people can't live here. These people can't live there. You feel what I'm saying? And it went on and on to the point today where our current conspiracy that's kind of funny is. Everybody owes a lot of money to the water for the water in Baltimore City. People haven't gotten their water bills in years. It's weird. Some people owe thousands of dollars. Anybody listen to this shit, y'all can look this up. When you get off, I'll get off it. And then sometimes, randomly, people get a water bill for like $15,000. And they're like, how am I supposed to pay this shit? And then they got to argue with the city. And then whole time, the city can't ever collect the money because they don't have the resources to do it. So it's not like anybody's credit don't get, get hit by it. And nobody gets their water cut off. So basically, nobody ends up paying, is what I'm saying. And they just keep writing endless shit off. We're talking thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's our current conspiracy, not conspiracy, current corruption that's public. So when I hear people say things like they dropping boxes of guns in the middle of the projects in the West Side, I'm like, yeah, OK, bet. That sounds about normal. I mean, for God's sake, we had a mayor. We had a mayor who wrote a book. And then used gift cards that were supposed to go to children to buy more copies of her book to make <laughs> to make her Amazon ratings and shit go up. Hell yeah. Pugh, Catherine Pugh. That's who she was. Yeah, man. And the Mosby's. My point in saying all this is when you grow up in the in the in the one in like this corruption, you feel me? It's like it's very easy to see how how it could go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I done seen all kinds of crazy shit with police doing all sorts of complicit shit. You feel me? Where it's just, I mean, I don't want to make people listening to this think like Baltimore is the Wild West. We would like you to come visit. We need the tourism money. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying, you know, you see that sort of corruption. You see how it could be 
how conspiracies could be more than just conspiracies. They could be the truth. Yeah, I was going to say that I think um, I think a lot of it has to do with how much uh, <laughs> how much of this stuff has like happened to people. How many times have you had that moment where you're like the wool comes off of your eyes and you're like, oh, shit, I've been had. And like, you know, I think it's a failure of imagination on people's parts. Like if you if you have in your mind a model of the things that the corruption that has happened and been documented then like you're saying it's or if or the corruption you've personally experienced either way like you have a model you have examples to like draw from so that when you come upon some shit in the present you can kind of be like ah this is has a really similar shape to all these things over here uh i think something's not right here and and then everyone around you is more than likely going to be like what that's ridiculous they would who would do that and it's like Fucking these people. <laughs> that's absolutely true. That's that's absolutely true, man. man. There, there is a thing that happens where, I mean, uh, what's the what's the famous media like the Mockingbird Project Mockingbird, which was when the CIA like implanted journalists and major like newspapers and newsrooms across it this was like this was a thing that was revealed in like i don't know the 70s or 80s or something and um you can look it up it's got a wikipedia entry and everything project all they needed to do was slip them 100 bucks like (laughs) probably yeah i'm sure it was a low bar but um the thing is is that like people think it stopped (laughs) i mean (laughs) This was like two decades ago, maybe three. No, right, three decades ago. It's it's yeah. No, they've probably gotten better at it. In fact, it probably the whole thing is CIA or whatever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just all of them. <laughs> Yo, we um, we got some conspiracies in our city though that are kind of interesting and funny though that I don't know if they are true, but they aren't as nefarious as as the ones that I think are true. But one that I think is really, really funny is um, we had this like big power outage at the Orioles game years back. And it like caused the, this this power outage that they canceled the game. And the conspiracy is that Cal Ripken walked in on his wife getting her back blown out by Kevin Costner. And then he beat it out of Kevin Costner. And, and, that, and what's funny about that is the old Baltimore people the old Baltimore, they just kind of like say it like it's just a thing, like like everybody just knows it. Like, oh yeah, that was when Kyle Ripken beat the shit out of Kevin Costner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just accepted. And and I, I'm like, I you know, I asked somebody, I was like, is that is that actually a true thing? They were like, I don't know, but everybody's been saying it long enough that it gotta be. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think that's a funny one. I mean, it's also, we can laugh at it because, you know, Kevin Costner's rich. It's all right if he got, and so is Cal Ripken. If they want to <laughs> knock each other out a little bit, that's fine. I don't get, that's, you know what I mean? Don't nobody get hurt. <laughs> well, except, except now I have a life goal to meet Kevin Costner just so I can ask him <laughs> a question. Right? But I mean, what would you ask him, what would you ask him though? Would you ask him, did you get knocked out by Cal Ripken? Will you be like, how do you feel to get knocked out by Cal Ripken? 
did you have a good time with Mrs. Ripken? Like, what, <laughs> what would your questions be? That? Like, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe all of the above in quick succession. <laughs> What's your yeah, to ask uh, after the other. <laughs> is it is he on that show that's really popular for Americans? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, look, look, Mr. Costa, I don't give a fuck about your stupid ass show about parks or whatever that shit is about. I just want to know, did Cal Ripken whoop that ass? Did you catch that fade? Was it worth it? Was it worth it for that Ripken joint? Let me know. Let me know. I actually, I think, I think, I think what I realize is that I'm going to, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to get in front of them and then I'm going to have to have you on speed dial. Just so I can call you and put you on speakerphone and say my friend asks this question. Bro, bro, I want this podcast to blow up so just so y'all can have Kevin Costner on the show on some serious shit. And when he's like ready to talk about how does it feel, he's like, Do you want me to talk about how it feels to have such an awakening in the end and my career at the end of my you know, at, at this age, and you'd be like, no, shut the fuck up, Kevin Costner. <laughs> I want to know for real, what's up? Did he whoop that ass? Did this <laughs> boy whoop that ass? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I, I would get all, like, fucking 60 minutes on his ass. I'm like, now, Kevin, is it okay if I call you Kevin? No? Okay, Kevin. What is your worst memory from Baltimore? <laughs> I mean, I mean it, shit, I'd be like, are you sure? <laughs> I, yeah. think if, I think if it showed up with Zoom, I think we'd also have to have like a lot of like Kyle Ripken posters <laughs> come to Baltimore. Just a lot of shit in the background that just sort of. <laughs> Yo, you have him, you have it tuned in on a Zoom. We do it live. <laughs> And we're all just wearing Orioles jerseys and Orioles. <laughs> and all that. It. <laughs> it's like like we like the, we like say where we are, like he knows that the the, the Kurt's in Vermont and I'm in Denver, <laughs> but we all have Orioles shit. I just like the team. I don't know. <laughs> Yo, you gotta start like you said, just be like, uh Kevin, is it okay if I call you Kevin? Look it- Go do shit anyway. I'm gonna call you whatever the fuck I want. He ain't do Cal Ripken. <laughs> Damn, that's funny. Now, now, man, I, I tell you like this: a- after this episode, we gonna have hella beef with Kevin Costner or Cal Ripken. But I, I'm, I know something right now. I want beef with both of them. Let me make sure <laughs> Ripken's still alive, real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Shit, I don't know sports, so let me. Oh shit, that boy's still alive. Right. Oh, I got beef with I got beef with Costner, but but like I I don't really know Cal Ripken. I mean, I just I think I'm gonna take his side. I mean, I mean, I'd be Kevin Costner's ex if I caught him with my wife. What did Kevin Costner do? Do I mean, I'm, if you don't fuck with him, I don't fuck with him. You, and so you ain't gotta convince me, but I'm just curious. Why don't why are we beefing with Kevin Costner? Just yeah. what's the reason? There was never a Waterworld too. You know what? I that's it. <laughs> say no more, man. <laughs> say no more. That's that, cool. That, that, 
that might have been beyond his control, though. To, to, and that, just to, just to take a side. That's the problem with Kevin Costner, is that he couldn't control that. He couldn't make it. That's, <laughs> by, that's what actually happened. Cal Ripken left, uh, you know, the, the big game and shit. He left that joint. He ran back home. He seen Kevin Costner blowing his wife's back out. And he was like, stop. And Kevin Costner was like, it's not what you think. And he was like, look, I don't care about any of that. Why is there no water world too? <laughs> <laughs> Straight knocked him out off that. You know, I'm, I got a laptop open and I'm looking at pictures of Kyle Ripken Jr., if that is his real name, born 1960 in Havre de Grace, Maryland, which, by the way, is a hard place to pronounce. And they debate <laughs> about how to pronounce it. But my wife and I recently went there a few months ago and we asked someone from there. And it's Havre de Grace. That's where he's from. All right, Cal Ripken. Yeah, I don't know, bro. I, I, I feel like we on Cal Ripken's side. That's what we going with, right? I, I, I got my money on Cal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bet. Are you supposed to rob from the rich and, and give it to the poor? You're not supposed to rob another man's wife and give it to yourself. Right, right, right. You know, also, I, no matter what I Google, I don't see anything about Kevin Costner knocking anybody out. And for, <laughs> I definitely tried with Cal Ripken. Because for real, for real, I don't think you can trust a man that, that that is that famous for entertainment that hasn't knocked somebody out. You feel me? Because, like, you're going to get upset at some point. You feel me? Like, and you're going to want to knock somebody out. That's what I feel like. Yeah, that's why you don't trust politicians. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, they pay other people to knock people out. Oh, you you got no mistakes on your record? I don't trust you. Bro, you just made such a good point. These people are willing to take an okay salary to internalize and compartmentalize all that abuse and trolling without reacting to it. And we supposed to trust them? You shouldn't Mm -hmm. be able. Trust any human who can internalize all that abuse. That's a dangerous boy. Oh, oh yeah, they're they're uh, or they're redirecting it. You know, paying a bum to let them beat the shit out of them on the weekends, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, they're hiding their evil, yeah, for sure. Like American Psycho type shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, always check out somebody's business card. If it looks like too much effort went into it, walk away. <laughs> Bro, that I love that scene. That's such a good scene from a movie. That is everybody that scene. That's a phenomenal movie. Everything about it, that. Great. That's a movie that I actually like better than the book. Ah, yeah, I haven't read mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> I um I feel that way about that. American Psycho, and I feel that way about Fight Club as well. I think both of those are better movies than books. And I would definitely agree with. I would definitely agree with Fight Club. I've I've I have read Fight Club, and I do think it's a better movie than it is a a book. Yeah, word same. I, I I actually love the book too. I like all the different the things in the book that were different. You know, um, I like the way he originally imagined it, but the movie was better. It took the book and it was like it turned it into something like an immortal legend like that that movie is forever one of my favorites it really did it, it, absolutely and you know 
to bring it back full circle, the movie we was uh, talking about, Life is Hot and Crack Town, it's based on a book. Um, yeah, the director, the, it's right, the director wrote the book. Yeah. And, yeah, it's the same guy. <clears throat> and Which, have you read it? I haven't. I, that, I, I've never read the book. Um, I haven't. And I was wondering, too, because you mentioned New York. It looks like this movie... Well, so the movie takes place in Manhattan, and I'm guessing it's supposed to take place in the 90s because the dude, Buddy Giovanazzo, he wrote this book in 1993. It's a collection of short stories with the people who live in that, that crack building. So what's interesting is can you imagine nowadays that many people living in a building in manhattan for free like no. in new york what days what <laughs> no no it's funny uh i so when i moved there it was already way past like the really rough times i, th I moved there in, like 2005 i think but i knew so many people who had stories and they talked about like in the east village you would walk and then you'd hear like all this like crackling under your uh under your feet on the sidewalk and it was just endless crack piles yeah. like they would you were just you were just grinding them into pieces like they, they just littered everywhere um yeah manhattan in the 80s and and maybe even into the 90s was such a different fucking world i mean there uh what's her name that actress rosario dawson grew up in one of the more famous uh uh what what is it uh it was basically people that just moved into an abandoned building and took it over mm -hmm. uh there was there was a bunch of cases of that and she grew up in one of the most famous ones uh squatters it was a, a squat building and that like and there's crazy photos too where you see like just like whole blocks of nothing but bricks like they demolished everything and just smashed it to pieces it's such a different yeah, I feel like every 10 years, it's a, it's a different city that people are living in. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that. One, one thing I find interesting about New York, though, is New York still has its project high-rise buildings, yeah. where like Baltimore and Chicago, I mean, Baltimore got our, we got our shit demolished back in the 90s, like late 90s when I was like 15 and 14, whatever, and um the the idea that there are places like Lafrac City and like Ebbets Field, like that that project community that's just thousands of people all in in one building, it's just it's just wild to me because like the the architecture that keeping all them people trapped in there with no grocery store nearby and all that sort of it's just wild to me. You feel me? And the fact that New York still has it, uh, the juxtaposition of that with the $3,500 a month rent for like no square footage. It's just wild to me, you know? Yeah. It makes the whole, none of the city makes any sense. None of it. Yeah. And but those, I, and those projects, especially like when you see them and what's crazy is that like half of them are getting converted into condos, which is also right. nuts, you know, like right. <clears throat> so that, right. you know, places that were, that were built for like the house, like the impoverished are now going for, multi multiple millions or something it's and it's like i don't know why you would want to live in them they're they're the way they're designed is fucking stupid 
um, yeah. and make no sense, but yeah. <laughs> um, there's something really interesting. So just like you said, a lot of those projects, they a, a large portion of it is getting, you know, gentrified into condos and things like that, but they still have to keep a, a section of it, section eight, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What's really interesting, right? I was doing some research for something I was working on, something I was writing. And something that's really interesting is because of the gentrification in New York City, people who grew up in one project building or the other are spending their elementary years and let's say the Ebbets Field, you know, projects, and then they're moving to the Marcus Garvey projects, right? When they're in middle school. So what ends up happening is you have people who was rocking, you know, Crips or Bloods or Gangster Disciples, and then they get moved to a new building where all the rival members are. Well, they now you end up with these amalgamation like of Blood, Crips, Gangster Disciple gangs where you have rival gangs all together under the project building that they live in. And if it's a big building like Crack City with multiple, you know, high rises, then which specific building you live in and which project determines which gang you're under, right? So I'm doing all this research because you end up with these gangs that are doing hits on other gangs. You end up with a gang of Crips and Bloods doing a hit on a gang of like Crips, Bloods, and Gangster Disciples, which doesn't make a lot of sense to the police as far as historically, but it's because of the fact that they keep getting moved around to different places. And the funniest thing I found out when I was doing that research, well, the, the only funny thing, everything else ain't that funny, but the funny thing I found out is the gangs as a form of beefing with each other because the technology, they do hits on each other and then they leave trolling reviews on each other's apartment complexes because <laughs> two section. Y'all, I'm telling you, I'm going to send y'all some shit after this, right? So y'all can see it. It's some, I, I, I was doing a deep dive into, into these beefs between these sets, right? Called the Woos and the Chos, right? And I was doing a, a deep dive into them. And they be leaving reviews. And just like you said, some of these buildings are becoming, you know, gentrified with expensive units. So you have these like websites trying to present the building in a new light, right? And then you see a comment with somebody leaving a comment that's like, yeah, nothing but weak ass motherfuckers over <laughs> here. Why you can ride through and spray them and they ain't gonna do shit. And then they'll be leaving. It's, it's, it's insane, the, the technology, how it's it transmogrified beef between like you know, different sets. So yeah, that was something funny. I out about new york i just think it's such a wild wild fucking world where like they're they're like people leaving their suburban homes and going to the movies to watch movies about dystopias and then like <laughs> there are like apartment complexes with like mutant gangs uh and like yeah, food deserts uh, trolling each other online after they murder, uh, trolling each other's buildings after they murder each other, and it's like, y'all need fucking movies to be entertained. <laughs> like, really? This, I, yeah, take a walk. You know, it's when I wrote my book, I wrote it with the with the one of the main ideas behind it was that if there was a city 
where you could have an S&M cult going around getting high off alien blood and attacking people and just killing people in the streets, it would be Baltimore because everybody <laughs> looks the other way, the police, the politicians and the citizens. And, and nothing ever happens, you know. Um, there, there's so much, you know, uh, well over half of the murders here go unsolved. And, and, and that was something that, you know, I found out more about as I researched for the book. And with, to what you're saying, there, there's, and it, there's so much going on outside. But, I mean, the shit that happens now, like when you talk about, you know, entertainment and just things happening out there, man, people in this city, there was a video that just went out. A dude live streamed his, he went live on Instagram with his op. You know how you can cut like word live with each other right now, mm. right? Like to each other. Imagine we beefing with each other, like, but we've actually like people on either side has died, right? And we're arguing with each other on the internet, right? And like people we know, it's just the likes and views are going up. On this video I saw, I watched a dude challenge his enemy to come shoot him. And you see the dude shoot his gun on one screen and the other dude like kind of move to the side and go, yeah, you dumbass missed. That's why you came through for all that to miss. Like this shit is happening. Like we're, the difference is nowadays we see everything. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, like it's all there. You don't need to go to no movie theater to watch no dystopian shit. It's right outside, man. It's right outside. Yeah, and that's like you're saying, it's been outside for, for a long time. It's just now people are, the, that veil is going to have to start dropping because that shit is just like coming through the, the feed. What, you know, it, ma it makes me think of this. There's another weird thing too, right? Because like everybody, there's like this, I don't know how to explain it, but when you're holding a camera and it like that's recording video footage, there's this weird like, sense of immortality or something that it that it bestows upon people like you like that that distance of like the lens and the screen makes you think you're not actually participating it's really weird because i it's like it's like if you ever watch any of those shows where it's like it's like crazy survivor people and they're out in the like you know you, you're watching people like or, or just extreme sport, anything. You're watching somebody like jump onto a mountain and ski down it. There's a, you, you, what you forget is that there's a fucking cameraman that's doing the same thing as that guy, but he's also holding this like giant chunk of equipment. Mm -hmm. And, and like what these, like what you're talking about with these kids, I think like having those cameras make them, there's this weird sense of invincibility they probably think. Like, oh, since I'm on screen, that's not there's like a distance that happens. It's it's similar to like what you were talking about, Brian, where it's like you, your your real self is shifted like three feet to the side. There's something that that happens with with cameras that is the same way. It's an excuse to dehumanize the, the yeah. situation. It, it provides a, a, a veal. It provides like a, a, a barrier not a complete barrier, but a barrier that separates you as far as your emotional responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, absolutely. All these horrible things that we see every single day, there is somebody filming them who is not the person committing the horrible act or getting the horrible act committed to against them. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, and they feel separate from that. Like you said, they're not participating in it, you know, but they are. They are part of it. They are part of the ritual of what's happening. There's a big yeah. part of it. It's really you know? interesting. It's interesting that we still get stuck in that because it's even like in like um naturalist philosophy that you can't like observe things without affecting them like as far back as like documenting different species of animals and when we were still exploring the world um that was like a concept that was in play and, it, and right. we, you still forget it and we still like I mean, in fairness i guess we've been trained to for a few generations with the tv and all but um, that's an interesting point because what, what you said about you can't observe something without also affecting it the observation of it affects the outcome of what you're observing uh, i'm sure that's true with what we're talking about filming fights and violence and murders uh, i believe it could go one or two ways if you're if, if i'm having a i mean I'm a, I'm a chill dude nowadays you know i'm a father i'm a husband i'd be chilling you know but back in the day you know, if, if something will happen, I might have a reaction to it, you know. And nowadays, if I had that sort of reaction, somebody pull out a camera on me, it's going to make me react in one of two ways. It's going to make me evaluate my behavior and say, OK, David, you need to chill the hell out, boy. You acting crazy. If the, this footage went on Twitter, went online, you look be look like a damn fool. Wish you ain't look like that. Or. I could go the other way and be like, I'm about to smash whoever I'm, I'm beefing with really hard so that they see what's up on these views. It's going to go one or two ways, one extreme or the other. Um, so in that case, the person filming it is affecting it. They're affecting the situation. I know I would behave differently on camera in that situation. Yeah. So most people would. And I, I, you know, speaking to that, I also wonder if there might, if at some point, I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if there would be a generational divide with that, where that idea of like, oh, I'm being watched, I'm going to act differently versus if you're always surrounded by cameras and like most of what's important is online versus reality anyway, is that going to make you lean more towards going crazy? like for are playing it up just so that you know that you're more interested in how it's going to play versus what the consequences are outside of the screen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's it. So what you basically saying is that some of these people who's, you know, younger than us, people who've grown up with, with always having everything film recorded and access and all that sort of shit, they they might the way they react is going to be different than how we did because they were always used to that they were born into that yeah, yeah. that's interesting and you that know what, is- do you know what the like the cosmic uh seal on the last like generation to not to to, to actually react a different way was that was the oh. last episode of Seinfeld explain what you meant <laughs> In the last episode of Seinfeld, like they're terrible people for like nine yeah. or eleven seasons, and then in the last episode, the dude gets robbed, and they just sit there making fun of him. Yeah. Oh, you're right. And they get not being good Samaritans. Right. Right. And yeah. They think so. They get in trouble for it. But but like to them, it doesn't register that there's anything wrong with that. Like they're just they're just the viewer. Um, yeah. And. That's and it's like the last time somebody said it was wrong, I think. <laughs> Damn. And that was a minute ago. So <laughs> we've been fucking up for a while. 
That's fucked up. Sure, I'm sure. Like you know, because you can say you can say I like tacos, uh, and someone says like, why do you hate burritos? So (laughs) (laughs) it just (laughs) depends. What's wrong with Chinese food? No, it's probably more more what would happen. Like what about (laughs) it? Some shit. Man, uh, I, f- I feel like uh, I spent. I lived in New Orleans for like two years, and I feel like most of the, I feel like half of the murders in New Orleans are unreported. <laughs> and then, like, I feel like half the ones that are reported are unsolved or more. Um, and it was, I, I feel like I've, I've maybe finished now, but I was like dealing with just how fucked up it made me to live somewhere where there was so much violence for like years afterwards. Um, you know, I mean, I had shit happen to me there. I had worse shit happen to me afterwards when I moved back to Florida and I got like into the rock, but like, uh, man, it just, it just eats at you when like it ate at me growing up in like uh, a town where I wasn't exposed to much. And then, moving somewhere where it was just so like commonplace that even people I knew from before from like back home that had moved there and I like met them there it's like some of them even were like well acclimated to it and and I like thought that I could handle it um but damn like I'm I'm fucking Christmas Eve one year there were fully automatic weapons going off in three directions from our house like a full-scale war was happening in our neighborhood on christmas and like we slept on the floor because we had brick halfway up the walls like in the closet Mm. (laughs) like like, this isn't fun (laughs) i think i think there's something to be said about that as far as like becoming conditioned or becoming used to something and, and the reason what i what i can say to that is that's a that's a terrible situation to be in that a dangerous situation that nobody should have to be in 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 this country you shouldn't have to be in that situation but these situations happen in cities all over this country they're happening right now and when I was, uh, I don't even remember uh, how old I was. It was like 2012, I would say. I, I lived out in California for a very small time period in a place called Walnut Creek before I moved to Oakland, California. And in Walnut Creek, there's a lot of rich people and they all owned horses because the houses were like, you know, ranch houses cut into like this mountain called Mount Diablo where people would take their horses all around, right? And um, very different from everything I know, everything I grew up with, um, the fucking horses to begin with. And, uh, you know, in the morning, because one thing about Northern California is nobody has air conditioning units, even the rich people, it seemed, at least in my experience. And, you know, you keep your windows open. And um, every morning, I would hear the clock, 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 clock of the fucking horses. And, and when they drop their shit, right? And, and and you smell it through the window, that manure, grass, uh, very nature smell. And um, I was disgusted 
by it. The the clopping, the the clip clop of their feet, um, it 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 repulsed me. Uh, in the morning, it, I wasn't able to remain in bed like I. And these people would go out at like five thirty in the morning and shit like that. I ain't had to be up till like seven. You feel me? So. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I would wake up. I wouldn't be able to go back to bed. Um, so the 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 audio, the audio stimuli of the, of the horses, and then and then the smell, the smell of that manure smell. You feel me? And I imagine that somebody who got horses is probably used to that. You feel me? And, and they would probably trip out if they was living in a place where there were gunshots every night. But I really do think it has to do with what we're comfortable with and conditioning and. You know, I know there's no danger coming from the clip clopping and the and the shit like there is from the gunshots, but it made me very uncomfortable. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know. It maybe because I wasn't used to it, or, or maybe it just smells horrible and was fucking annoying. I, I don't know. But I think oh go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh I yeah, there's a similar thing where like as a as a as someone who's like only lived in cities more or less like when i go to the countryside and i see how dark it gets like it makes me like slightly uncomfortable right yeah but but i imagine but you could take anyone that lived out there and i i tell them like oh i lived in new york and they would be terrified like they're like ah people get killed all the time right it's just endless murder like there's this there's this weird thing that like whatever you're used to like you you get exposed to the opposite of it and then it's there's a lot there's always fear built into that or it's interesting you're saying disgust and i think it's it's they're related there's a similar thing that happens like uh that level of discomfort i mean it's really funny being here and because i moved from brooklyn to burlington vermont and um yeah, I mean the, the feeling of walking around here is so different, and I I laugh at anyone that's like, you know, it's dangerous in the downtown. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, give me a break. <laughs> like, there's nothing is scary here. Get, get the fuck out. Of here. Right. Absolutely. I, I felt that way in California when people was telling me shit about. I'm not trying to sleep on California because California is going crazy right now. Uh, especially in LA and all that, but I just felt like coming from an East Coast city, I'd just be fine with it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you feel me though? Like if you if you grew up, you from or you lived a long time in an East Coast city, I'm not saying other cities are soft. I'm just saying that there's a, a, an ability to maneuver in other cities that that I think you develop. You know what I'm saying? Like. Put me in any city. You put me in Denver. You put me in Milwaukee. I'm going to be fine, bro. I, I, I made it in Baltimore. I'm going to be fine, bro. I can You feel Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I, sure. I, I totally, I totally get that. Like even, even going from where I was in Florida out to California, it was like, I actually felt like where I came from was harder. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Um, and, and, and some of California's fucking wild, but. It also was like, I don't know, people are people are very different. It's a totally different vibe. It's completely different. Um, but East Coast, there's something about it. I feel like it it's like hardening yourself on fucking rocks. Um yeah. but uh to that earlier point though, I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, hang on. 
worrying about I think worrying about violence like and being like in the stress state of worrying about violence is like a different thing because I wasn't I wasn't annoyed that New Orleans had so many vacant houses or that the Saints didn't win you know what I mean right <laughs> it wasn't right. it wasn't like uh like oh I just hate parades uh <laughs> it was like I don't want to get killed um so like whereas yeah. There, there are a lot of things about being in a foreign place that can make you uncomfortable, but like, I don't think anyone should have to live with that, like, fear or threat unless it's like, sort of as a group and it's like out of pride that you're all protecting your own like plot or your own land or your own tribe or something. Um, but, you know, I mean, we do, we work with what we got. <laughs> but, like, you make a good point, I'm sure, like, and they probably haven't studied this the way they should because it's not something that they would want to put money towards. But I guarantee you people who grew up or spent time in certain areas like what you and I are talking about, there's got to be some form of real PTSD that comes from it. I'm not talking about when people say trauma just to use it as a word. You know what I mean? I mean, actual, you know. I mean, how could you not? If if you're living in a place that has X amount of violence and that violence is comparable to uh, quote unquote war torn countries and shit like that, how can you not have that that trauma reaction, right? The response. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I know I know I do. I mean, like shit. Like I had to, yeah. I I I was assaulted a few times when I was on drugs and like in no frame of mind or like I had no will to defend myself or anything. Like, and it was just like, dude beating the shit out of me. Like, and that, that fuck you up for a long time. Like, cause you, you know, when you let some, when you cross that line of like not defending yourself and not even really like caring that much. Um, yeah, man. Just fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. That make that reminds me of that the whole scene in the movie with the old man. Oh it's just yeah, like it's just like endlessly, needlessly fucking cruel. Yeah. Oh, that that you know what, bro? That that scene is a very very dark scene. I, I keep thinking that the scene where Elena Douglas passes the 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 pipe over her kid, but no, when 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 you realize that they just use that old man to collect his disability, you know, his or his social security payments. They just continuously go over there and beat the shit. That That is dark as hell, too. Forgot about that. Really? Yo, you know what's one thing I like in the movie, though? Didn't you like how, like, RZA and his whole gang, they be like, and all that shit? How they had that, like, thing that they did? No, oh, look. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a horse clapping. You know what? I, I'm about to flashback from this. <laughs> but but no, nah, I liked how he had that too. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. But but now nah, going back to damn that old man shit, that was terrible, bro. I forgot about that. And I don't even really fuck with old people like that because they got old ideas and shit. But. But um, but I feel bad for that old man. Goddamn! I, one of my favorite moments was the uh, 
when the dude was like, like, yeah, he thought he got us, and then he's like leans against the wall, and he's like, you get you get shot, man, and he's like, who did? <laughs> the way right. his eyes are like so wide, and he's just like, who did? And like you can tell he's in shock. Like it looks yeah. so fucking real. It it really got to me. I was like, oh, that is that is what someone looks like, like right when they get shot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing too. I thought um, a lot of everything in this movie was very realistic. A lot of how they did certain stuff. I thought one of the most realistic parts of it was how they used Evan Ross, the guy who played Romeo, the young dude, right? how the gang used him as a crash dummy, essentially, because that's what gangs do. They get the young people to go crash out, go do a hit, you know what I'm saying, on somebody that's not supposed to have a hit done on them. And then they make the little boy take the blame. And then, you know, they take care of him. You feel me? So like that whole narrative in the movie of um, you got this eager psychopath you feel me young psychopath ready to live this life but there's somebody who's about to use him you feel me mm-hmm. and that's what i saw with his narrative he straight crashed out on that dude and then um he gets hit you know yeah that was a great scene too with the like chain of them following each other that was really well done yeah yeah oh I- yeah 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 I think I think too real to make money is the tagline of this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and and it's such a I, you know the more I look at this movie and stuff like that, it, it's just incredible that this even got made, that yeah. this even got greenlit. Like, first of all, something very interesting. If you look at this after the fact, right, it is very hard to figure out that Elena Douglas was in this movie. If you search. Life is hot in Cracktown. Under the cast, it mentions nothing of her. If you search it on Wikipedia, under starring, it mentions nothing of her. It mentions a bunch of other characters. You have to scroll down to where the cast part is written to find her. And she's at the very, very bottom. And it makes me wonder if her PR team did some scrubbing to... Mm -hmm. uh, get her not connected to this movie. That's number one. Number two, you got Kerry Washington, you got people in this movie that's that's really, you know, A-lister motherfuckers. It's like, how did this even happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's... I also, I mean, I'm amazed I'd never, I'd never even heard of it. It's also, it's also hard to find. Like, I, uh, I had to I don't know how Rev. How did you watch it? You sent me a link. Okay, yeah that that was the only way I could find it. I found it off some weird like I don't know like some YouTube knockoff at a at a I, like you can't you can only buy like a DVD. Oh, interesting. Like, you can like it's not it's, it's not. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no streaming not well, around they, here. They control thought regionally now because they have. <laughs> everything on streaming so like whatever whatever they want us to see there are uh, certain ufo documentaries that the danish government like buys from the states to put on here but they're only the ones from like the to the stars academy oh really yeah oh that's really bizarre yeah mm. that is what what do you think 
you know, we start, we we was talking about hella conspiracies, like, not nah, for real. What the fuck is, is up with this movie, like, for real? Like, they don't, I seen it, I swear to y'all, I seen it in the hotel room around the year that this movie came out or a year or two after, right? But I've never seen it on anything again. It's impossible to find. Elena Douglas done scrubbed herself from the motherfucking movie. You feel me? Um, it's got hella famous people in it. It wasn't low budget. I don't, in my opinion. I don't feel like it was based on the time. What the fuck happened? I, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it. I think it's it's real enough that people don't. They'd watch it and be like, well, that's an uncomfortable truth I'd rather not sit with. Um, right. It has no rewatch value. It's it's like that. I was talking about this, uh, about this with um, uh, J. David Osborne, Grant, Eddie and um, Kelby and all that. I, I was talking with him about this movie called Antiviral, right, um, by Grant Brandon Cronenberg. Excellent movie. But you really, it doesn't have any rewatch value because it's so uncomfortable and so gross, you know? Yeah. Maybe maybe that's why. Huh. Yeah, that's like, um, oh, fuck. Requiem for a Dream is yeah. it a, it's a similar, but like, I actually, I bought a copy of it, never watched it because I saw it in theaters, but I'm like, I, I respect the shit out of this movie, so I will, I will buy a copy of it, but I'm probably, I'm never watching this again. <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah. that's like that's everybody's reaction to that movie is like it's like it's an incredibly powerful experience uh but after you're done you're like I don't want to revisit this ever and it, it it's it's actually it's actually interesting because the closest thing I can think of that that sort of fits with this movie is was is something like uh Minister Society but weirdly, I remember Minister Society being this like endlessly rewatched thing, and it's it's nihilistic. But there's it, it's I I don't know what the difference is. Like like this movie is much more realistic in its depiction. Although I wouldn't say I don't know. I, I yeah it it's maybe Minister Society is like slightly more comedic in its darkness. I I don't I don't know. Menace to Society. So. Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society come out at similar times. Boys in the Hood is a great movie, but it's the Disney version of Menace to Society. When it yeah, comes. yeah, for real. Um, Menace to Society is dark. It has the heroin cooking scene. It has the learning about selling dope from his parents scene. You know, it, it has that in there. But Menace to Society also has Jada Pinkett and him possibly making it out of the hood and a love story, you know, a redemption arc possibly that gets cut short, you feel me? Whereas yeah. this movie was like the movie Crash, not the Cronenberg one about the car crashing, but the one where it was about like racism and bad events happening and like a yeah. bunch of lives all collide. This was like that if every character was going through rock bottom, you feel me? Yeah. <laughs> this was like a bunch separate issues, real issues that are happening every day in communities all over and them colliding at the end. Whereas I feel like Menace to Society, we, we had people to root for. With with this movie, yeah. who the fuck do, are we? Maybe we root for the dude who got, had the, the new baby in the two jobs. Yeah. Although he that, ends up 
yeah, he ends up fucking killing somebody. And like, <laughs> yeah. He ends up killing Terry Washington's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. I didn't even catch that that's who that was. Yeah, because uh, Slim, he goes out to, to rob the joint to make some money for some ready and oh. shoots him and shit. And uh, he lives at the end, but but still... Yeah, I was rooting for him to have it all right because he was just trying to work and take care of his kid. Dude, yeah, that was. I was like, "Why the crackhead's the chillest guy in this movie?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he must have been getting better shit than me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, he. I, I really like that actor too. Like, I liked him on Dexter. Yeah, I that's so that's another thing too. Like every single actor and actress in this movie, if you go through the Wikipedia for this movie, every character in it has a blue blue link for their name. You feel me? All of them have Wikipedia's, all of them have credits. Even the just random people who who are just like only there for a little bit. And it just amazes me. I know I keep saying it. I probably sound like a broken record, but ever since I seen this movie, it just amazes me that it even exists. That we literally have a movie with Diana Ross's son opening up, doing a gangbang, and then urinating on a girl he he rapes, and then throwing two vials of crack rock on her body, and she's like, "Thanks," before he leaves. Like, yeah. Bro, like what? Like like there's so many people in the movie where you're like, did you really agree to do that? Was you mad as hell at your agent after you did that shit? Like <laughs> or was you mad as hell at your mom when you agreed to do that shit? Yo, right, like the little boy and the girl with their dirty ass face getting crack rocks blown over their fucking head. <clears throat> whole fucking movie gets smacked by the other dude and shit like that, by the stepdad boyfriend dude. Like, yo, like that too, like. That's something I always think about too. Like, how how did they they get them kids' parents to be cool with that? Yeah. Well, and it and it starts with like that. You see the little boy, and there's a roach crawling over his face. Yo. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I mean, like, that's dinner in 2030. Oh, yo, and it's. It's crazy, man, because I just keep I, I keep going back to the fact that Elena Douglas done scrubbed herself from the motherfucking movie. She was like, ain't nobody going to see me blow crack rock over that little. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shorty, I didn't seen it. It's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. Like, it was this time when they was like post four scenes from your favorite movies, like on Twitter or whatever. Like there was some. Prompted, and I, I immediately did a screenshot. Of that, because because a little angelic know. girl, she's like she had a yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, man. I, I when I seen this, I done seen a lot of shit in movies. I done seen a lot of shit in real life, but seeing Elena Douglas pass the pipe over that baby's head, bruh, that was a dark moment for me. I was like, oh man, I feel dirty, you know. Oh. There's a there's another really weird like so Romeo that's his name right the the yeah. main character the, mm -hmm. there's a weird thing all right so uh, the 
the movie opens with him just like this this gang rape but then later on there's this girl that like he seems weirdly like helpless against yeah like the white right? yeah like yeah. he like sh- like he i don't know he like where in any other situation he would he would totally just overpower overpower her hurt her whatever but for some reason with her it's not the same i know like that that to me was also there was something i felt very real about that too and that You're right. there, yeah no no go ahead no, no, no. I feel I feel exactly what you're talking about because it's like you got this dude basically going around a predator in the city, just stalking anybody weaker than him, trying to make his name in his set. You feel me? Trying to make a name in his gang, and he's just hunting people. Then all of a sudden, he's in the car having like you know a realistic inner city fourteen year old relationship where you have sex i mean i'm sorry it is what it is you know what i'm saying i'm not saying kids should have people you know kids should have sex before the whatever you know i'm supposed to say so that i don't get in trouble and all that shit observing isn't endorsing <laughs> right yeah but the thing is in the city that's how it be you know what i'm saying kids is fucking kids at that age and he's having that that sit that discussion with her where i, I feel <laughs> where it's very much like a uh, inexperienced, immature, like disrespectful relationship of some middle school or freshman, you know, high school kids. And then he goes right back out to killing people and, and yeah. running. I think that's important to show that he's still a kid. Yeah. It, yeah. That there's, that there's some part of him that's still like, I don't know if it's underneath it or if it's just, if it's set parallel with, with the reality he's living or something, it's like, and maybe, maybe that's what it is. Like he's like, he's beholden to that, that girl, because that's the one instance in his life where it's like normal. Right. Like maybe that's what it is. Um, You notice we don't, um, we don't see anything about his parents or, or anything like that. Yeah, because it's not important. Because there's yeah. kids out there. You feel me? That's just roaming the streets like that in real life, trying to make a name for themselves. You I know? Kind of, I kind of noticed that while I was watching how how brilliant all the omissions were. Like everything that they didn't show you about the characters, I I kind of thought like it was really well well done. You, you didn't need to think that far beyond. Like, you could kind of assume, that's ah, probably not great, wherever they are, you know? <laughs> and there were there were little, like, lines of dialogue, and I love when books do this. Um, some authors are just so good at this. Um, Eddie Rathke is so good at this, where he'll have, like, a character say a line about something that happened, like, just as a fact, right? you know, and, and it gives you the whole backstory and the lore of the book in one piece of dialogue without having some stupid narrator part where the narrator explains everything and lays it out for you. Mm-hmm. And in that movie, um, the Elena Douglas and the other dude, when they're smoking crack in the, in the, uh, in the unit, right, in the, in the apartment, he makes a comment when he starts being aggressive and violent, when he can't find any more money, 
He's like, I used to have a good drop job. I used to be a stockbroker before I met y'all. And and you kind of you kind of get an idea without him, like without them explaining anything, you get an idea that all these people are different, you know, results of 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 the addiction. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, bro, everybody was somebody before. Yeah, exactly. 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 It humanizes them, too, because you got to know that because I don't know, in a real life, a lot in real life, a lot of people don't treat these people like people. You feel what I'm saying? They obstacles in the way for people to get from point A to point B. So I feel like it humanizes them a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That might be part of why it wasn't so popular. Um. I think I think another reason too is like you know how there are archetypes of like um like different different fuck how do you even describe archetypes like like um, the word archetype you use archetype to describe yeah. archetype it's one of those. but like this is like a movie of ghetto archetypes or like hood archetypes like the all these situations are like things you see again and again if you're in those situations like um they're they're not like unique uh you get uh, i mean maybe the (laughs) maybe the the trans woman and the like crackhead apartment robber guy maybe that one was a little bit (laughs) you know but maybe not i don't know no you're right you're right about that um with the archetypes, with it being similar people and characters that that you see that that they're not uncommon, uh, that this is what you see. You know, I think another thing that's really important that this movie did that is more indicative of what happens in real life, and this may also be because I'm not from a southern city. I don't know, um, but in this movie, uh, it wasn't really segregated along racial lines. There, people were poor and they were on drugs. And if you were poor and you had a drug problem and you you lived in that building, that welfare hotel is what they called it in the movie. And um, this is much more. Rep- this represents real life much more, as far as I've seen it. Because yes, whole neighborhoods are built based on segregation, and yes, you have yes, that is a fact. But once you reach a point of no money and stealing copper out of churches and going to the scrapyard and going to the methadone clinic every morning, and you got to be in line before 10 a.m. or else you ain't getting your shit. At that point, now you're seeing white people, black people. You're seeing it doesn't matter. You're just seeing addiction and i think this movie did a really good job of showing that i'm glad they didn't pick on a certain group and be like oh this is the hood and this is crack you know what i'm saying like this was everybody and like you said brian um everybody was somebody before you know i think that was important well okay see i think the reason that this movie might have been blacklisted in a weird non-official unofficial sort of capacity was if you think about it uh what you're saying here is like it humanizes everyone and uh at the same time the it it doesn't do what i noticed it doesn't do what a lot of movies that are set in the hood do or in like a uh even just like high crime shit do are like 
they have a good guy, bad guy thing, and they have some kind of moral implication at the end where it's on a local level of like this person and this person are against each other for some reason. And or maybe this person rises above their circumstances and it's a it's a good feeling at the end or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like a weird distraction from the truth, because then you're like, oh, this one person made it. And like, what's the rest of that sentence? So the rest of you can too? Like, right. Fuck that. Like, you know how fucking Jay Z made his money selling crack? Like, I'm glad he's rich, but like, uh, you know what I mean? No, you're absolutely right. It was, it, once again, it represented outcomes more realistic, how they would be, how it really happens. And there was no true bad guy, good guy. And what I think is a, interesting emotion is did y'all feel kind of bad for Romeo at the end when he was like posted up in the chair with the two uh, uh, pistols facing the door about to get killed like did y'all feel a little bad for him yeah he just looked like a scared little boy yeah that's crazy that you you felt bad for a dude who opened up the movie raping a girl But I did too. That's what's interesting about the movie. That's the point. Isn't that? It doesn't? Isn't that it? What matters when a movie makes you do something like that? Yeah, yeah. And and now see what you what you just said. It didn't really have a bad guy. Every story has a bad guy. Every story has an antagonist. And th- this is the point that I think where we get to why <laughs> this movie didn't get much more talked about. I don't think like. I don't think people blogging about this or whatever would ever get any traction because it's like, even if people want it, I think there's probably some kind of blacklist on it because if there's, if the antagonist isn't like in the movie, then it's whoever caused all of the whole, the whole situation. Right. Oh, shit. So, so you're watching the movie and, and, no, it turns out nobody's actually the bad guy except whoever has created all of this mess. And then you're like, well, who's that? And I think that's where that leads people. And I think that that's something that some people understand. <laughs> Damn, that's wild. That's like that's like if you say to somebody, like, if you can't figure out who the asshole is in your friend group, <laughs> it's, it's you. You feel me? Like you're saying that basically there's a subconscious thought that when the movie goes off, that when the credits roll, you're like, am I the problem? And is me sitting here watching this movie and turning a blind eye to what goes on in America and not bearing witness and not reporting and making a change? Am I the antagonist? Am I the problem antagonist? I was actually just blaming the CIA, but here's <laughs> Yours is better because that puts that that puts the power back in in the individual's hands. Not not necessarily the blame, but the power, right? Right, because well, yeah, because okay, yeah, for sure. When, when if you step back from the movie, you're like, yeah, this is the government. The government did all this. This is fucked up. But then we know that. But what have I done to make a difference? Have I volunteered at any programs? I not not only that. I'm watching this shit and I know it exists down the street from where I live. And what have I done? Like, have I volunteered in literacy programs to tutor children in Baltimore? There are tons of programs. I get the emails for it. Have I signed up yet? 
uh, you know, this type of movie, the credits roll, you're like, I probably should sign up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's like, what are you doing to make a difference? Damn, I never thought about that. The antagonist is us. Everybody who watches that movie and then goes back to doing nothing. Dude, you did think of that. I was thinking the CIA. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was you. I hate any of them alphabet boys and any of them organizations. It's crazy that we just give some people just the power to do whatever the fuck they want to us. Right? Just wild, right? Boys. I mean, that's what I'm calling them from now on. The alphabet boys. Yeah. All. That's the alphabet boys, baby. That's FBI, NSA, CIA, ATF, DEA. BCPD. Police. Yep, exactly. All of them. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, shit. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> I just fuck. Yeah, I'm still thinking about that. That's good. So when uh, when we were chatting the other day, I thought you brought up a really speaking of conspiracies and and um, and putting the power back in people's hands, like. You were talking about the the whole Beyonce coming to town thing. Oh my god, yeah. Dude, I yeah. thought that was really like powerful and compelling. I'm like, if if you don't mind sharing that again. No, no, I don't. I don't mind at all. Like, I just, just it was framed well, like <laughs> just like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> the feedback loop I was discussing of how just like yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just interesting because. My, I feel as though my friend circle is diverse enough that, you know, I, I when something becomes a feedback loop, I can say it really is one because it's like, well, these people are my military friends. These people are my still locked up in prison friends. These are my famous rapper friends. You feel me? Like just different types of people. And so what had happened that I was talking to Brian about is, you know, Beyonce coming to town. Um, she charging anywhere from like, I think it's like $900 to $20,000 for tickets, right? You know, that's wild. And, and that's cool that that's wild. But the all I see for a whole day on Facebook is a group of people arguing about, oh, don't go spend your money on Beyonce tickets. Make sure your house is in order first. And then I see other people saying, I work hard. I make this much money a year. Don't tell me what I can spend my money on. And then I see a group of people saying, you wouldn't spend that much money on your friends. Why Why would you spend it on Beyonce? She doesn't care about you. And then, I, you know, you see the group of people talking about with that money, you could start an LLC in your own business. You know what I'm saying? Those people. And it, it's just funny because it, it's like a ritual, right? It's like magic because these people just get absorbed into this cycle of everyone's talking about it till I come home from my house and my wife is like, hey, did you hear Beyonce's coming to town with these crazy ass high price tickets? And I'm like, no, they infected my wife too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like when you come back and you find out your family got the virus or whatever, you know, in the movie. <laughs> They a zombie too, and they finna attack you on some I'm Legend shit. You feel me? It's like that. Is, that's what that's what you was talking about, right, Brian? Yeah. Well, and then you were like, you were like, at the end, you were like, and then meanwhile, they passed some shit, some law that fucks all of us. Yeah, and exactly. Like, and and then like the people that are saying fucking like, no, I work hard for this money, and I am like. 
there's no goddamn reason those tickets should ever cost that much money. And anyone that pays it is being robbed blind. You know what I mean? Like people should be able to be entertained for without like being worried about losing their fucking house. Like to me, the people up top just taking the money and running from these people that work hard for their money. It it just like all of it is so like it just makes me want to like scream that this is the reality, you know? But but I thought it was just so powerful that the idea of these people like arguing about like which stance to take and then you're over here saying like put the power back in your own hands and like go do a thing, you know? Um Yeah. Because it all, it all kind of fits together in my head. It does it. And honestly, since I talked to you, man, and I've just been doing a lot of paying attention to aperture. How do I say it, bro? Apotropaic. Apotropaic, right? That's how I say it right. It's a new word for me, y'all. My bad that I said it all stupid. My bad. But, but, um, yeah, I've just been noticing how everything is a part of that. I mean, you know, when we throw up our set with the neighborhood we're from, we're making a magical symbol. You feel me? When we do our handshakes and we do our handshakes from the hood we from, we doing a magical ritual right there. You feel me? Because, you know, if you fuck up the handshake, you know what I'm saying? You got to start it over. You got to do it again. You you got to lock it up right. You know, these are rituals with, um, with this whole Beyonce thing. That's a fucking ritual. Everybody just talking it, talking it back and forth. It, it becomes a real thing, just a, a real thing, taking up a lot of space. And, mm. and, you know, it's the same thing with gang graffiti and hood graffiti going all over everywhere. You throwing up your C's, your pitchforks, your B's, whatever you do in your crowns, you throwing that up. Those are the symbolism. That's the symbols, right? So... I've just been paying attention to everything is that. It's really interesting, too. I feel like that kind of thing has, uh, it also has more charge when there's more uh, intensity. And, and like, if there's more stress and more threat of violence or struggle, then there's more intensity. So I think that, like, people are doing on-the-fly magic all the time in those situations. Well, one of the uh, one of the first uh, offerings for the dead I ever saw was a um, was a documentary about uh, gangs in Little Rock, and that's where <laughs> I first saw someone pour pour forty out for a dead a dead gang member. That was my first exposure to anybody doing any sort of offering for the dead was was with that, and like, um, yeah, that I'm not shocked that it's the whole thing is riddled uh <laughs> ritualization yo you you're talking about the documentary called gang banging in little rock yeah it was an hbo thing HBO. yeah it's a good joint and and we pour out the liquor for the dead homies that's a real thing you know one of the one of the most interesting rituals that is i'll say after my time you know this is the youth is doing this shit now is the smoking on dead homies do y'all know about that what no. that means yeah, so it's actually uh, it came from uh, Chicago, but it's also big in like Jackson, Jacksonville, and Duval in Florida. But what it is is you um you kill somebody, and then you make a rap video or a song where you refer to smoking on 
that dude. So if rapper A kills rapper B or his crew does, he makes a video talking, you know, he rolls a joint, he rolls a blunt and he hits it and he's like, I'm smoking on blah, blah, blah. I'm smoking on rapper B. Um, Chief Keith was the first to make it commercial because he had that song called Smoking Tuca. And Tuca was a uh, 14 year old kid from the rival Gangster Disciples who got killed. And um, King Vaughn and Chief Keith's people did it. So they killed the dude and then they make a song called I'm Smoking On That Dude. And and that's got to be that's a ritual right there. You feel me? Yeah. That is that. the violence that is a result after they make those diss tracks. It's so disrespectful. Like the, the when you think about it, to say you're smoking on somebody's dead homies, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah, what it what it makes me yeah, go ahead. You're what saying was, that name, so it's an invocation. Yeah, right? what it makes me think is that it's like a binding or something. It's like to it's because you've definitely like that's a spirit that's gonna be out to get you. So you're you're trying to you're you killed them and then you're also trying to hold them at bay or bind them and still exert power over over them um yeah no i haven't i haven't thought of it that's super fucked up so it in, in time magic with if there's a violent ghost and they want to subdue it so that they can kind of build it up and make it you know amenable to work with them and 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 help it out at the same time like everybody kind of wins it's not like a bad thing but um they'll take like a ritual knife that's been blessed and made in special ways. And they'll kind of like, they'll put a, a hole in the ground, like poke it in the ground in five different spots and say like one of the names for the five different Buddhas each time. So there's this like assertion of dominance and like, I'm, I'm stronger. I've got this knife, you know, I'm boxing you in. So like I'm smoking on blah, blah. Like the idea of, this might be a stretch, but like the idea of like a blunt being something that's bound and it's like, I've got this in my hand. I'm controlling this thing. I'm like, I don't know. It's really interesting. There's something yeah. going on there. Like it's like, it is well, like claiming the dominance thing. Like, so the idea that angry ghost coming at you and you're already like ahead of them being like, I'm, I fucking, I got you. Yeah. I'm killing you twice in a way. Because there's also the that like the well, so I don't know if that's where the the origin of the slang of like smoking someone is is from that, like no, because I so smoking somebody with a gun like shooting them that's that would be an early euphemism, some, you know. Okay, this smoking so, on is new. So it's so, but 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 then that but then them smoking on is like that's that's containing that other thing too. So right. it's like it's like you're killing them twice. Yeah. It's nefarious as fuck. And, yeah. and the reason you know it's a ritual is because on the other side of thing, which is what is very different from when I grew up, is now gangs will rename their sets after the person that got killed. So at the same time as Chief Keefe's people and the Black Disciples were talking about smoking on Tuca, you had the group that Tuca was from Rename their gangster disciple set to Tukaville. You feel me oh. now? Tukaville. So that's a ritual in and of itself. So they're invoking the spirit of Tuka to protect their fucking neighborhood by naming it after them. And and it's not it's not just that the, the one of the most famous hoods in America, O Block, 
where King Vaughn is from, Parkway Gardens. It's called O-Block because his friend O.D. Perry got killed and they renamed the neighborhood O-Block after him. You feel what I'm saying? And after talking to you and listening to a few episodes of your show, I've just been paying attention to how everything is apotropaic magic, just fucking everywhere you look. Just people just invoking, and, it, and it's fucking crazy too when you think about it. You watch some of the rap videos too where they're just, at the grave sites of their enemies and smoking jays talking about they're smoking on them while showing images of the high school pics of the people they murdered like that's so ritualistic i love it i don't love the death i don't love people dying from it but um i'm a horror writer i'm a horror writer and a crime writer you know a lot of my shit is spent researching the darker corners of the city and and um you know i, I find that very interesting I find it very interesting that that we see all these rituals. And honestly, since listening to y'all show and talking to y'all, that's got me thinking a little bit different about how I'm going to write this sequel. Mm. You know, might be a little more magical just because I feel like there's just a lot of that shit going around, you know? Well, what's crazy, too, is that this this is shit that's just emerging in reaction to the actual act of doing this this violence. And it's right. not like these these guys aren't they're not reading fucking grimoires or some shit. This is just like this just emerges because there's something about the reality of it necessitates it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I actually think there's more going on there. I think. Uh-huh. I think that there probably is more intentional uh, magic than we think in in like the rap world and the drug dealing world like um i mean there's there's plenty of occult shit in the rap world and man i i'm fascinated i don't i don't know the the rap world very well but i'm fascinated by that shit and i'm like dave i'm i'm like you're blowing my mind with this stuff because it's like i wasn't as aware uh, I didn't have nearly as good of a framework as I do now back when I was in it, in those environments. But like now I, when I look back, I'm fascinated. Like I'm very fascinated by like what's going on in, in the spirit ecosystem of places where there is violence and where there is a lot of like real, real trauma. And <clears throat> taking my experience from living in, Germany for six months uh, last year. Um, Germany is a very haunted place, and it's a weird thing. I've talked to people that live in Switzerland, and they said the same thing: that when, as soon as coming down from Denmark, I cross the border, it's like a different spirit. Like the whole country is like a different vibe altogether, um, and it's so fucking haunted. Like the city that we were in, it's just a small city, but after we were there for a while. I, I started like becoming paranoid that I was going to see bombs dropping. And I was like, what the hell is this? This isn't like my actual concern. And then we went to the museum there and we found out that they were fucking aerated in World War II. And it's like the northernmost town in Germany. And I didn't think that happened there, but like they got aerated and I'm like paranoid bombs are falling. Right. Um, so and I and after a little while, I started to get really violent imagery, and uh, 
be kind of uh, afraid of like almost paranoid like in a really weird way i mean it was during covid but i got this weird like uh I, essentially i figured out that i was basically worried that the nazis were going to come get me because there were ghosts mm. there. and and i was getting violent images and like anxiety and all these things because it was just a fucking sea of ghosts and um and it like it was kind of like boot camp learning how to deal with it but but it was very it's very apparent to me that where there are ghosts where there are people who have died violently or suddenly um those those people are still there and they're going to be like influencing the living so like whatever they're feeling they're kind of like projecting that shit out uh and it it gets kind of in us and like in our in our heads unless we have a bunch of apotropaic magic hanging around um but so when you think about that in the context of like a place where there's gang violence and people dying of overdoses and all this shit all the time and then you have I can't help but think there's something going on with ancestors too, where because if you trace the lineages back, there's a lot of ancestral worship in these lines. And mm -hmm. there's something about like naming your neighborhood after a folk saint. That's really, really like not that weird at all, but but really interesting to see happen. What what was the what was the Thai thing where they would they would like kill a child for and then install them in a pillar to protect the city or something? It wasn't a child. It uh, wasn't a child. It was, no, it was it was people that volunteered. It was uh, yeah. I think. And yeah, these in their cities in Thailand where they have pillars that they they would have humans volunteer four people and they would volunteer and each one would be like assigned a corner of the city like or a direction and they would put them down in a hole and drop an enormous stone pillar on them and kill them instantly and then they would be the ghosts that protected the city forever like and they would be like they would they would get offerings and prayers and and all kinds of shit and merit offered to them so that they they'd be venerated as like they would eventually become like lower level deities uh but yeah but thailand is a country that has never once been conquered uh well you know myanmar before whatever but it's that land has never been conquered so it's it's interesting to think it fucking must work but this thing you know you can find like witch bottles and shit in the walls in certain houses and old houses that have slave quarters and shit in maryland they find mm -hmm. stuff like that in there which is interesting you know with what you were talking about with germany and, and this is something that that i touch on a lot in my writing because i would say more than half of my writing takes place in baltimore the other half might be another planet or another time period. But if I'm writing contemporary crime or horror, it takes place in Baltimore. And um, one thing I always focus on is there are 33,000 abandoned units in Baltimore, 33,000 vacant row houses. Um, 
when you drive through the city, it's like a checkerboard. You'll see a row of nice houses. Then you'll see a row of houses that look like Godzilla bit a chunk out of the roof and shit, like all boarded up for blocks and then a nice block, then a boarded up block. And you can't tell me that that much death, that much abandonment, that much loss of properties and dreams that doesn't result in some type of psychic energy in the city. And, and the thing is, when in my have, have y'all ever been to Baltimore? Yes. Yes. Okay. Briefly. I when my band went on tour there, we uh, like what we stopped through there on tour and we drove through a part that was like that, where it was just vacant for like ever. And I remember just the feeling of it was like astonishing. And we took a picture and it was during the Occupy Wall Street shit. And uh, I took a pic, we took a picture of it and and made a meme that said Occupy Baltimore. They've got plenty of space. See, you know, (laughs) that's pretty funny. But, uh, you know, and. There's so many things that make make Baltimore such an interesting place. I said it on Twitter a few weeks ago for, you know, for foodies, people who want to come to Baltimore. uh, You know, Baltimore low key is one of the best food cities in the country. And the reason is, is because chains don't want to invest in the city because they're afraid to build franchises in the city because they're afraid the shit going to get knocked down or fucked up. So because of that, the only restaurant, I mean, yes, we have a P.F. Chang or a Cheesecake Factory, but for the most part, almost all the businesses are like one of a kind. You feel me? They're, they're mm-hmm. locally owned and created restaurants by Baltimoreans, and it create, makes it a really cool food city. You know, there's a lot that makes it interesting. I had to throw that positive thing in there real quick before I say what I'm going to say, but for some reason... And, and I'm from out here. I live out here. It, you know, for some reason, um, there are certain parts of the city that are completely empty and boarded up, yet it still feels like something is about to go down at all times. And there's just life. You can feel the life inside those abandoned buildings. And you know what? They could be shooting galleries. They could be trap houses or there could be some ghosts in the motherfuckers. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, you feel the energy when, when you're there. It's um, it's a restless energy. Mm. You know what I mean? Just a restlessness. And um, there's just weird shit, shit you experience here. This is a, a strange city. You know, I think John Waters said, he said, New York is full of people who think they're weird, but are actually normal. But Baltimore is full of people who think they're normal, but are weird as hell. You feel me? (laughs) I think there's nothing more true than that, man. It's a very strange city. And every day, every week, I see some wild shit that you could look at as a ritual or an unintentional ritual or whatever. There's just always a lot of wild shit going around. You know what I'm saying? Man, I, I, so I was there twice, actually. The second time was with my band during the Occupy shit. The first time was like way, before, like a long time before that. And the first time I fell in, I kind of fell in love with it because it, it was like, it was something about, it felt like a place that was, it was completely itself. And like, I noticed like what you were saying, like there wasn't any chain shit. Um, and uh, the pl- like, as he got towards like, like it was this whole area 
I fucking don't know where it was, but it, I don't think it was East Baltimore, but I don't know. Um, but it felt like Final Fantasy VII to me. Uh, <laughs> it felt like all these buildings were like shaped different and all so close together. And there were all these pipes and steam. And I was just like, this is like, is there a Mako reactor here? Yo, what, do you remember the show with the venue your band played at? By any <laughs> no. No, actually, the Baltimore one was kind of a shit show. It was like, it ended up being some somebody that, like, because we we just, our whole tour was a shit show. We just sent out random emails, uh, and we were nobody. So, like, <laughs> I don't have a clue where it was. It was just some little tiny place. And then we crashed at this person's house. Yeah. Yo, Baltimore is a, is a very authentic city. Yeah, it seems... It seems I had the best slice of pizza I'd ever had in my life there. That's interesting. You know, the whole time I think our cheesesteaks are better than Philly, but, you know, I ain't trying to start no beef with nobody and have to spin the block on a Philadelphia author or anything like that. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I say it's very authentic and accepting that this city does not seem to be a very judgmental city. It's It's a city where you can be your true authentic self. The city is authentic. You know, I got to tell you, um, getting my book in stores in Baltimore has not been too difficult. And I think it's because it's Baltimore. I don't think that's because of my book or because of me or my aesthetic or anything. I think it's because Baltimore is like, oh, shit, you got a book and it says the word Baltimore in it. Well, come on down. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We want you to be a part of it. Oh, you writing about the city and it's not the wire again? All right, bet. Come on down. So, so like, I don't know. I just, I, I feel that a lot of my success has been because of, of the city I'm in, which is so funny because every year the city loses its population. It has one of the most rapidly, like, declining populations as far as uh, in top 20 American cities, as far as size. Every year we lose people. So I feel like most American cities are losing people right now. I don't know what they, the official numbers are, but I think people are still kind of starting to mass exodus. Where's everybody going though? Because everywhere kind of sucks or is great. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't you know. know I did today. Oh, my, I'm sorry. I was saying, I tell my wife every day, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay in Baltimore. I like it here. I love that you love the place that you are, that you live. Like, I, I think that it's so, that place is so important because it's, people take it for granted and, and just kind of think it's like, it can come and go like, oh, I'm I'm mobile. I've got legs. I can do whatever. But there's something about like, when you take seriously that you know, you are that place too. Uh, everything you see, that is your life. You become it and it becomes you. And like, I think it's the right attitude you've got to like, to, to, to have be optimistic and like want to make the best of wherever it is and like treasure it. It's like, it's just like work, right? Like, even if it's some shit job, take it seriously and do it well. Um, like, 
if I lived in the fucking desert with no water, I would still try and make it nice. And like when I lived in Florida and I fucking hated Florida, I still tried to find things about Florida that I really liked and make it cool in any way that I could. And like, um, you know, but but it's different when you actually love it and you're not just tolerating it. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you 100 percent on that, bro. I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, man, you got to I know it's kind of a cliche thing what we're saying like whatever you're doing do it to the best of your ability but i truly do believe in that i mean bro i i was locked up doing laundry and i did that shit fucking great bro i was folding people's laundry for no reason and shit i was just whipping the laundry down i could have been sleeping in that joint on the bags and shit but i was killing it with the laundry you feel me because yeah. you gotta do that there's a there's a satisfaction there's a sense of self that that you get and you know, it's interesting what you said about place being important because I was reading a really good book. Uh, J. David Osborne's new book is called Dying World. I don't know if have, if y'all have read it yet, but um, in the book, like it, it takes place in this cyberpunk universe, right? This cyberpunk sandbox where something that people are doing is they are like transitioning to an animal um, whatever their so-called spirit animal was. So like you have a character who um, saw a nature video when he was a kid and just liked how the deer had uh, the forest as his, as his home, right? So he wants to transition to more of a deer. So he's going through this surgery to get these modifications. And it makes sense because he explains it as the city has become so crazy and overpopulated that there's no sense of place. So by transitioning to a deer, where a deer has the home of the forest and him going to the forest, he would feel a sense of being tied down because animals have a, a habitat. They have a place, a nest, a cave where they go. But but what do we really have if we don't have our city? You feel mm -hmm. me? Or yeah. our hood, where we're from. But that's another form of magic, ain't it? For sure. 100%. Yeah. Being in touch with all that, like the, the place that you live and, and having that relationship with it, like there are spirits of the place. And I don't mean just the ghosts, like there are spirits of like protective spirits of every place uh, that care about it. So like if you love the place and they love the place, then like you've got an ally in them. And like there's a uh, there's potential relationships that can form there just through paying your respects like. Like the same way you would pour out a little splash for a dead homie, like you pour that out for for the the spirits of place in like a place that feels particularly good, like that it's that it's the good the good ones that are holding down the fort, um, you know That's stuff like that. Just paying paying attention and like if little good deeds happen around you that seem out of place or like random. Um, that might be them helping you out and like say thanks somehow to say thanks back to them somehow or um you know just little stuff like that uh but i think i think like it doesn't have to be intentional either you know like you're already you're already doing city magic because you're you're writing books that enchant the city through the imagination of the people that live there and you're writing in that setting. So like people are reading cool stories set in a place that they live 
and you're selling it in local businesses there like that's city magic you're you're like actually bringing these perspectives and these uh like kind of new ways of imagining to people and you're you're giving a common myth to people in that place so like people in the same neighborhood can walk around and like have this common vernacular of your story whereas um most of the world they have to rely on what is like you can't do that right like i can't walk out here in denmark and expect them to know something that i just read mm, right because like well i don't read in danish yet very well but you know what i mean yeah there's some no. really something cool about how you're embedding that you're you're putting like your own reflections of the place and your imagination and your love for it all back like into it and into the people's minds and it creates a web of a bond there it's it you you um i'm i like the way you said that it thank you it's very important for me that like yes i like a good amazon review yes i like somebody from the literary world asking me to join an anthology or whatever and shit like that but nah for real for real what i like is the dope dealers reading my shit the dudes who work at the wonder bread or the domino factory you feel what i'm saying the domino sugar factory you feel me the dudes who work at zero price the the you know the the rich dudes you feel me uh the killers the gangsters like this this is who i want to read my book and most importantly the people here all the people here and and i do think i, I mean let me be clear though i want everybody to read my book cuz i definitely want some motherfucking money so i can take care of my wife and my daughter and i'm i'm all about that bag but you know it is so important to me that baltimoreans read my baltimore writing in baltimore while doing baltimore shit at baltimore establishments like it, it creates this like kind of circular energy of it's just you know happening there see that that like uh, i think it's a it's a weird thing that happens when a bunch of people read a bunch of books that were written hundreds of years ago and decide all together that they're going to talk about them and that that's what magic kind of looks like and then everybody talks in those terms and everything and it's kind of hard for somebody on the outside to step into those conversations right but right like what I found talking to you and David and Kelby, like all you guys are already, you got and and Grant, like y'all are already doing magic. Like you, you, writing and story is magic. The the cool thing is, is you you all you guys all like kind of know it. Um, I think a lot of writers miss the opportunity to like step into it intentionally, but like what you're doing with that web work and because it, it's it's something you can't really put any other word to. It's because it's it's so much more than just like oh maybe it's helping the local businesses if they get a cut but like that's not what it's really about uh, you can make your you can make your money selling your books but like and and yeah you need to make a living but that there's something else there there's that heart in it and that part is the like you're doing something that's like a service in a way and it, and it's it's hard to put like a word to it because we don't we, we grew up in a world that tries to only value the numbers 
So I don't, I don't think we have like proper terms for certain things. Um, but it's that invisible shit that's so subtle that we don't have all these like, so it kind of amounts to just being like that. Yeah. It's fucking magic. <laughs> like, it know? absolutely is. It, it, you know, and I mean, we, we are doing it all the time. I, I have the broken river books logo, the symbol, which I stamp on whatever I'm writing and putting out. And I stamp on my hat snapbacks that I get made that I wear when I do readings and shit like that. Or, um, you know, live stream interviews and shit it, it, it's all magic that we doing all the time you feel me there's there's deep magic that we do in our books where kelby in his book mercy he has graffiti he describes graffiti on the wall in his book that is a colloquialism that i use in real life and then in the end of the sequel to Go See East Baltimore, which I'm working on now, I have a character seeing one of Eddie Rathke's books in the window of a store. Like, you know what I'm saying? We we're we're pulling shit from each other and it all it all comes back. And there, there's magic in that too. You know what I mean? Like it's creating a universe, creating a world, and, and adding different layers to it and shit. It's the Broken River uh, literary universe. Exactly. And, and them boys be... Are you guys going to let Disney buy you out? Bruh, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't speak for the boys, but <laughs> Disney, look, Disney got some evil history to them, so I'm down with that. You feel me? That's kind of interesting, too. They got some nefarious shit going on with them, so I'd be about that. Um, and then, you know, I feel like signing to Disney, You at, that's like you asking me if I was signed to Death Row Records. Back <laughs> and if you had asked me that back in the 90s, the answer would be yes, with a question mark like at the end, but, but definitely still a yes. You feel me? Because I'm going to turn down a Disney bag, bro. Shit, I, I, I didn't know what Kelby and David would say because Nikkei's got a show on there now. Oh, yeah. So you you think they would say no? No, I think they'd say yes because Nikkei's on. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. He does. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they would be down with that. They would be down with that. For re But for real, for real, you know, I'm, I'm learning a little bit about how that shit works too, like screen rights and optioning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, and if you just get your shit in line to the point where they don't own the IP past a certain amount of time, there's enough time in life to get different people to do different shit with your shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I think you can always just like <laughs> write more shit too. Like if somebody offers you a pile of money, it's like, well, I, I need the money. I'll just write another book. Exactly. And, and on top of that too, I'm a motherfucking gangster, so for real, if I want to do anything, I'm going to just do that shit, and you can see me in court or see me in the streets. You feel what I'm saying? So it is what it is. I shoot first and ask for forgiveness later. So I'm going to write what I want to write, but as a writer, you should be able to make up uh, make up new shit anyway. But, um, but brother, I got to go put my daughter to sleep. Word. Yeah. Uh, no worries. And thanks so much for your time. Kurt, Kurt had to step away as you yeah. know, saying for the listeners, but, um, but yeah, thanks so much. Dude. This has been great. Um, everybody listening, go buy ghosts of East Baltimore and check out his others, his other short stories and stuff.
Yo, thank you, bro. Thank you for having me on. This was a great discussion. I didn't even realize how the time had passed because <laughs> it's a very interesting discussion. It wasn't like uh, you, it was very different than anything I've done before. And, and I really like uh, a lot of what I learned because in preparation, you know, for coming on this show, I was just reading about a lot of the shit that y'all talk about. And I feel like, you know, I have some interesting rabbit holes to go down. You feel me? Man, that's that's awesome. Like, I feel like if what Kurt and I do can inspire uh, a few a few writers to to make to 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 have like some cooler some other stuff incorporated into it that that maybe they didn't know about or just like that's I think that's that's almost cooler than helping people do magic better. <laughs> yes, man. you got me interested in this stuff more so. You got me not searching out new rituals, but you got me, you got me interested just looking at my friends and myself on a daily basis and just seeing how much wild ritualistic shit we be doing throughout the day. Like, you know what I'm saying? When I go to see one of my homies perform at a concert and we all throwing up the same sign, you know what I'm saying? To, and making the same call and shit. I'm paying attention to all that shit now. You feel me? But yeah. That's awesome. I, you having me on the show brian and kurt i appreciate you having me on too man and i look forward to checking it out and uh in the episode when it come out brothers appreciate y'all right this has been great you you're it's yeah you're awesome man thank you thanks y'all i fuck with y'all and (laughs) and when i get off this joint i'm gonna send you a you a link to a youtube video of the most disrespectful smoking on so-and-so rap video (laughs) ritual so y'all can see what i'm talking about i'm gonna send it to you right after i get off all right it'll be in the show notes too (laughs) my man i'm gonna talk to y'all all All right take it easy all right brothers